I want to talk to you today about the church that changed the world from Acts chapter 13. We're going to look at the first three verses. Acts chapter 13, we'll start in verse 1. Every branch of the military has a written mission statement. For example, the mission of the United States Air Force is to fly, fight, and win in airspace and cyberspace. The mission of the United States Navy is to protect and defend the right of the United States and its allies to move freely on the oceans and to protect the country against its enemies. Now, if you serve in one of these branches, I believe you are supposed to know that mission. And just as it is important for a soldier to know his or her mission, it is equally important for us to know our mission. Our mission is what we recite at the end of every service, every single Sunday, that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, which means all people groups. We are to baptize them, teach them everything that Christ has commanded. Jesus gave us this mission 2,000 years ago, and it has not changed. This morning, I want to talk to you about a church that really, really got it. They really understood this mission, and they let it sink deep down into their hearts. This church that I'm referring to is the church at Antioch. The church at Antioch, if you don't know, was the first Gentile church. This was also a church where the people were so consecrated to God, their worldly neighbors gave them a nickname. Do you remember what they called them, the nickname they gave to the members of the church at Antioch? What did they call them? They called them Christians, which means little Christ. They meant that as an insult, but the church at Antioch took it as a badge of honor, and we still use that word Christian today to describe someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you what really makes this church at Antioch so, so special. The church at Antioch is where missions was born. For the first time in all of history, in Acts chapter 13, a church intentionally set aside, commissioned, and sent out missionaries to preach in other nations. Prior to Acts 13, that had never happened before. And we have our mission Sunday this morning. We're going to read about their version of their missions Sunday in these first three verses of Acts chapter 13. Let's look at these verses together, starting in verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. The church at Antioch understood their mission. There are some things that we should learn from that church that will help us to fulfill our mission. And there's four things I briefly want to point out to you from this short passage. First of all, we learn from this church where we must begin. Where we must begin. This story about these missionaries being called out for the very first time from the church at Antioch, it begins with worship. Maybe they were worshiping together and they were just enjoying the Lord's presence when they began to realize there were many other peoples who could not worship and they were not worshiping because they had not heard the gospel. And sure enough, the more we worship God and the more intimately we worship God, the more acutely aware we are of those who cannot worship God because they do not know him. And the greater that desire that we have within us that all of the peoples would know. It has been said that worship is the fuel to missions. And I believe that is true. The Bible says in verse 2 that they ministered to the Lord and they prayed, they fasted, They didn't wait for a crisis to come along to decide, hey, we need to fast and pray. No, they were fasting and praying because they desperately wanted to know God's will, what God wanted them to do to fulfill their part of the mission. And it was through this time of worship and this time of intense praying that God called these first missionaries out of the church at Antioch. Now, in verse 1, we were told the names of five of the leaders of that church. We don't know much about uh, Simeon, except that he was from Africa. There's Lucius from Cyrene. The Cyrenians were the first to preach the gospel in Antioch, so he was probably one of the founding members of the church. We also see him later on with Paul when Paul wrote his letter to the Romans. So we know that Lucius was a man who was very faithful to God through thick and thin, for a long period of time. And then there's this man, Menaean. The Bible tells us simply that he was brought up with Herod. Talk about having friends in high places, or maybe I should say low places. This is the same Herod who cut off the head of John the Baptist. This is the same Herod before whom Jesus stood before he was crucified. Menaean grew up with that guy, knew him from when he was a kid. That means he grew up around royalty. He grew up around power. But in the church in Antioch, he was just another pastor. And then there's Barnabas. Barnabas, who in chapter 4 literally sold his possessions in order to help some members of the church who were in need. In fact, Barnabas wasn't even his real name. His real name was Joseph. But the people at the church decided, we're going to call you something different. He was so encouraging. He was always just encouraging other people that the church said, we're going to call you Barnabas instead because Barnabas means son of encouragement. And then finally, there's Saul. Saul was his Hebrew name. His Greek name was Paul. And by the way, yes, he used both of those names throughout his life. But He had once persecuted the church 
Then he had that personal encounter with God on the road to Damascus, and as they say, the rest is history. Now, these were all godly men. God could have called any one of them into missionary service, and God could have called anyone, really, from the church at Antioch, but it's not an accident that these two men that God chose from that church, Barnabas and Saul, were two of the most faithful men in the church, and I would even say in the history of the church. God's going to send Barnabas and Saul on a missions trip. He's going to send them to preach the gospel to other nations. But let me tell you what God does not do and what God will not do. God will not take idle Christians who are not serving, who are not being faithful, pull them off the shelf, and then blow the dust off to then immediately give them some important assignment in God's kingdom work. That is not how it works. Listen to me carefully. Missions begins at home. Missions begins at home. It begins by being faithful at home. It begins by serving at home. It begins with preaching the gospel right here at home. How dare we say we're going to go abroad and do those things somewhere else that we're not willing to do in our own backyard. It begins at home. That's one of the lessons we learned from the church at Antioch, where we must begin. But we also see through this church the role we must play. The role we must play. As the church was worshiping and as they were fasting, the Bible says in verse 2, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. We're not told exactly how the Holy Spirit spoke to the church. I would imagine they were worshiping God so intently, they were so close to God that he was able to speak to them through that still small voice. And I believe this church just collectively knew that God was calling them to send out these two men as missionaries. Now, there is a sense in which every single Christian is called to be a missionary. Some are called to cross oceans. Some are called just to cross the street. Everybody's called to cross something. But these two men, Barnabas and Saul, they were called to a special task. And there's an interesting word here that God uses. God said to them, separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul. Now, this word separate, you know where it comes from in the original language? It comes from the words beyond and horizon. Beyond and horizon. God is calling them to separate Barnabas and Saul so that they would send them beyond the horizon to preach the gospel in other places where the gospel had not been preached. That was their role, what God had called them to do. But we need to understand, 
for Barnabas and Saul to fulfill their role, the members of the church at Antioch, they had to fulfill their role as well. And I believe they understood that. Something interesting in verse 3, the Bible says that they laid hands on them and sent them away. Understand that is more than just a parting prayer before we say goodbye. The laying on of hands, especially in this context, was very, very significant because it had its roots in the Old Testament. When the priests were set aside, when the Levites were set aside for service, the people laid hands on them. That was their way of recognizing the special call of God on their lives, but it was also a way of recognizing that the people had a responsibility to those priests and and to those Levites to support them in their ministry. We know that Moses, before he died, laid hands on Joshua on the part of the people. He was not only passing along the torch of leadership to Joshua, but this was also a way for the people to recognize him as their leader and to pledge that they would follow his leadership and support them or support him in every possible way. And so you come to Acts chapter 13. And the Bible says they laid hands on Barnabas and Saul and send them out. It's like the people in that church were saying to them, we have our role and you have yours. We're going to be faithful, now you be faithful. We're going to give so that you can go. And we're going to pray while you preach. But we all have our role and we all pledge to fulfill it. God called the missionaries, the church commissioned those missionaries, and they accepted the responsibility of supporting them. Not everybody could do what Barnabas and Saul were called to do. Not everybody had their training. Not everybody had their education. Not everybody had their time. Barnabas and Saul were single men. Others had families they had to take care of. They just couldn't pack up and and move and travel from one country to another to another. You see, not everyone could do what Barnabas and Saul were going to do, but the only reason why they could do what they were going to do is because there was a faithful church behind them, backing them up, supporting them, praying for them. Everyone had a role to fulfill. You see, for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, Everybody's got a part to play. I believe God may be calling some of you to go. And maybe that means going on a mission trip. Maybe that means going for a week or going for a month. Maybe God is calling for some of you to go for a lifetime. There are some of you that cannot go. You don't have the health or you don't have the ability. You're not at a place in life where you are able to go, but God has blessed you and you have the ability to give and make it possible for someone else to go. There may be some of you that don't have the ability to go or the ability to give. Oh, but maybe you're retired or maybe you're at a place in your life where you are able to devote time and pray deeply, deeply for our missionaries. That's such an important role. But the important thing is that every believer seek God to know what their role is so that they can fulfill it in God's mission. Now we see 
where we must begin. Missions begins at home. We see the role we must play. Everybody has one. But then, and this may be the most important point I'm going to make, we see from the church at Antioch the sacrifices we must make. The sacrifices we must make. A lot of people had to sacrifice for Barnabas and Saul to be able to be sent out as missionaries. The church in Antioch had to sacrifice two of their best leaders. I mean, just imagine, you're at a church, and Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is your pastor. How eager are you to send him away? Or imagine you're at a church, and you've got the apostle Paul as your pastor pastor. You get to sit under his teaching every week. How eager are you to send him away? And I would ask myself, if I were the pastor who had to fill their shoes, I don't know I'd be very interested in that. This was a very big sacrifice for the church. They gave their best. They sent out their best. They had to sacrifice their resources. This missions trip that they went on, if you keep reading, you'll find out that They traveled by land, they traveled by sea. It was about 1,400 miles total, took two years. This was not cheap. This was not easy. They had to give much, and they had to pray hard for this missionary endeavor to take place, but they decided that no price is too high to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if we're talking about sacrifices... Let's talk about the sacrifices of Barnabas and Saul. They probably had to sacrifice more than anybody else at the church at Antioch. Think about all the things they had to go through, spiritual warfare on a daily basis, constant opposition. Many times they were rejected. When they arrived at Antioch, Pisidia, a different city called Antioch, the leaders of the city opposed them. They were forced to leave. When they got to Paphos, they were confronted by a sorcerer. When they got to Iconium, there was an assassination attempt, and they had to flee. When they got to Lystra, get this, the people wanted to worship them. They wanted to worship the missionaries, and they started sacrificing animals to them. But then some of the old enemies they made in Lystra showed up, and before long, the same people who were wanting to worship them, instead of worshiping them, they just stoned them and left them for dead. But praise the Lord, they were not dead. These were just some of the sacrifices they made on just one missions trip. And I, I read all of this, it kind of reminds me of a story. There was a missionary named J.W. Tucker who was martyred in Africa in 1964. He went to preach the gospel in Congo, and he was thrown into an alligator-infested river by Congolese rebels. But before he went, he had a friend who begged him and pleaded with him and said, Please, please don't go. And he said, if you go, you will not come back. You know what J.W. Tucker said? He said, God didn't tell me I had to come back. He just told me that I had to go. That was the attitude of Barnabas and Saul. 
had the opportunity this past June of being reminded once again of some of the sacrifices our Southern Baptist missionaries make on a regular basis. I got to go to a missionary commissioning service, and if you've never been to one, make the effort. It is so worth it. But uh, I got to attend a special service where we set aside missionaries and we commissioned them and prayed for them. And one at a time, missionaries, they would come up to the front and come up to the microphone. They would introduce themselves. They would give us their names, where they were from. They would tell us where they were going. And they would always share one prayer request. And these missionaries that you see in front of that screen, these are missionaries that are going to low-risk areas, places where, frankly, uh, there's not much persecution, there's not much risk. But I quickly discovered that the overwhelming majority of the missionaries we appointed that day, brand new missionaries, several dozen missionaries, the overwhelming majority of them, when they stood up to introduce themselves, they couldn't stand in front of the screen. They had to stand behind the screen. You understand what that means, don't you? They couldn't show their faces. They couldn't give their real names. Because they were going to people groups and they were going to parts of the world where it is difficult, it is risky, and it is probably illegal to share the gospel. And if they were to reveal their identities, it would put them at risk of death or expulsion. One missionary after another, behind the screen. Behind the screen. I took these pictures myself because I wanted to come back and show you their images. We need to see them even if we can only see their silhouettes. And we need to see them because these missionaries, especially the ones behind the screen, they have made up their minds. And they have decided that they are willing to count the costs and pay the price, every single one of these missionaries will suffer. The question is simply, how much? We think about some of the ways it will cost them cultural adjustments, having to learn a new language, medical issues, when doctors are not available, Stress, sometimes financial pressures, loneliness, persecution, separation from friends, from family, the difficulty of raising children under these circumstances, and the overall effect that all of this can have on a marriage. They've decided that they're willing to make all of these sacrifices. And there's just one question. What sacrifices are we willing to make? That's our question. What sacrifices are we willing to make? We've seen where we must begin. Missions begins at home. The role we must play. We all have a different part. 
the sacrifices we must make. But I, I want to share with you one more lesson from this church at Antioch. We also learn from this church the results we can expect. After two years, Barnabas and Paul returned to that church at Antioch to give a report, and these were the results of their trip. Look at chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. Chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. From there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. They got back to Antioch. They could not wait to get the whole church together so they could begin to tell all of those stories Yes, the good and the bad, and it was hard, and they, they had to sacrifice. But notice they said, God opened a door. God opened a door. God moved so powerfully during their missionary journey that we get to the end of chapter 15, and Paul said, hey, I got an idea. Let's do it all again. You know, at the beginning of the book of Acts, there were just 120 followers of Christ gathered together in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. When we get to the end of the first century, there were about one million followers of Jesus Christ. There's a big difference between 120 and one million. How in the world does something like that take place? Well, we know... Of course, God had to do it because he's the only one that can. But let me remind you, God uses people. And I believe that what we read, what happened at the beginning of Acts chapter 13, when the missions era began with this one church at Antioch, that is the tool God used to bring that about the whole world was changed because one church took hold of that mission. They embraced the mission. They said, we'll do whatever it takes to make disciples of all nations. Now, hear me carefully. Whenever the people of God embrace the mission of God, the power of God will be present. I guarantee it. I read an interesting article that demonstrates this a while back there was a missionary named Dr. William Leslie. And he went to Africa to share the gospel with a very specific people group called the Yansi people group. And he went in the year 1912. 1912. It took him a while just to be able to clear a so that he could reach this particular people group. But then finally, when he got there, he labored. According to this article, he had to fight, and I quote, illness, leopards, charging buffalo, and armies of ants. Does not sound like a vacation to me. 
He had to do all of this. He had to endure all of these things so that he could preach the gospel to a tribe that was still practicing cannibalism at that time. Well, he finally got there, and he worked, and he preached for years. He gave his all. He saw very little fruit. He got so frustrated at the lack of response from the people And then finally, after years and years of just wearing himself out, trying to preach the gospel to this one people group, there was a falling out with the tribal leaders, and they asked him to leave. And Dr. William Leslie returned to the United States absolutely certain that he was an abject failure. Fast forward to the year 2010. Some missionaries said, hey, you know what? Let's go back to the Yansi people group and try one more time. In 2010, just 12 years ago, some missionaries flew to Africa, got this little Cessna plane, found a little strip that was wide enough where they could land in a field, got off the plane, had to carve out some canoes, which they then used to cross a river that was a half mile wide. After they crossed the river, they took their backpacks and they had to hike through the dense jungle just to make contact with the Yancey people group. And then finally they reached the first Yancey village. Now, understand, when these missionaries in 2010 went back to preach the gospel there, they were absolutely certain that there were no believers amongst the Yansi peoples. When they arrived, they discovered that there are eight villages in the Yansi people group, and every single village had a thriving church. Every church had a choir. And in one of those villages, they built a stone sanctuary that can seat a thousand people so that every now and then, all eight villages can come together and worship God together. And every single one of those villages, when they were asked, they all traced their history back to a missionary who had arrived 98 years earlier and preached the gospel to them and then went back to the United States absolutely certain that he had failed. But he had not. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, the word of God will not return void. When we preach the gospel, when we send missionaries, when we pray for our missionaries, when we give to offerings like Lottie Moon, when we go on mission trips, you know, sometimes we don't see the results we want to see. Sometimes we don't see 
the fruits of our labor with our own eyes. And sometimes we feel like we have failed. But you know what? One day, one day in the sweet by and by, we're going to be able to look back and we're going to see for ourselves the truth of those words Paul spoke at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, you remember, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. One day, it will all be worth it. You join me as we pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that almost 2,000 years ago, there was a church that did something that no one had ever done before. That set aside and commissioned and sent out missionaries who then preached the gospel and planted churches. And then later on, those churches sent out even more missionaries who planted more churches. 2,000 years later, here we are. We can see right here in Homestead some of the effects of what you did in Acts chapter 13 through this one church that grabbed a hold of this mission and took it seriously and changed the world. God, how we want it to be said of us at First Baptist Church of Homestead that this church changed the world. We know that you can do it and that you work through people, even people like us. So God, we ask you to do that. Call out some from our midst. Help us, like that church at Antioch, count the cost to be able and willing to do whatever it takes to get the gospel as far as we can, starting right here at home, not ignoring homestead, not ignoring the needs in our own backyard, the people who need the Lord right here, starting here, our Jerusalem, and going to the ends of the earth and everywhere in between. God, help us. And God, if there are some here today who do not personally know Christ, we know that a person doesn't have to live in a faraway, unreached people group to be lost. So we pray for them. If they do not know Christ, that this would be their day, that they humbly acknowledge their inability to save themselves, that believing in Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, they would place their faith in him, that this would be the day of their salvation. God, have your way in us. Show us what you would have us to do, how you would have us to respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.